Welcome to The Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of Survive to Thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello and welcome back to the Rural Rockstar. I'm your host, Katrina Myers, and today I've got Meg Durham back with me again. Hello, Meg. Hi, Katrina. This is the third in our series uh, that I'm doing with Meg, which is just so much fun and we're having so much fun discussing all these sort of topics and going down our rabbit holes that we love to go down and sharing all of that with you. The first episode was all about what it actually looks like to thrive and what thriving even is that, you know, we talk about, you know, how we want to be thriving, but what even is it? Um, The second episode was all about confidence, how to get more confidence and what that even is and how you can start to cultivate it. And Meg gave such great advice on ways that you can start to develop your confidence and how it's related to courage and vulnerability and all those wonderful things. So definitely head back and listen to those two after this one if you haven't already. And today we wanted to touch on something that was, it was kind of, it was really inspired by a post that Meg did earlier in the week that really resonated with me because it was awesome to watch Meg go through this process. And, and it resonated with a lot of people, I think. And what it led us to was it was Meg describing how she goes through a process of when she's feeling not great. Or I'll get Meg to explain it better than I can, but it was all about how to develop resilience and where resilience comes from and, you know, the permission to feel and how that's all part of it. And we thought, why not unpack that today? Because resilience is something that we all, I don't know, I guess it's something that we kind of want. Like we want to feel resilient. We want our kids to be resilient. And it's something that we kind of wear like a bit of a badge of honour almost. Oh, they're very resilient. But it's almost become a little bit skewed in some ways and we've gone to the, to, to the, to the edges of resilience and it become, can become sort of stoicism. And we see this quite a bit in rural communities too where people become almost too resilient. So resilience has a lot of nuances, which Meg and I love to chat about. Is it's, None of this stuff is, you know, straightforward. There's so much complexity. And what we're trying to bring you in these conversations is really delving into the complexity of these things to help you have an awareness of why these things are so hard. And, you know, if you're struggling with them, this is why. And you are normal. You're having a human experience. And we're trying to bring that sort of humanness and normalness to these conversations to help you on your journey to move forward. So that's what it's all about. So it's awesome to have you here, Meg, and I'm very excited to delve into this topic with you because it's something that you and I love talking about and I love hearing about it from you. So why don't we start by, if you could tell us, you know, how would you explain what resilience actually is? So the way that I frame resilience is our ability to navigate life, the ups and downs, as we call upon our internal and external resources. Mm, Okay. So it's not just about, I mean, because, you know, when I looked up the definition of what resilience is, uh, it was like your ability to recover, how, how quickly you can recover from something, you know, how quickly you can get back up. But to my mind, that misses a whole piece and you know that's where we can get into this idea that resilience is just how strong you are or you know like or they're so good because they're they can cope with so much but it actually misses this whole piece around this 
feeling part, doesn't it? I mean, actually, to build resilience, you have to be able to feel the feelings of what you're going through as well. Otherwise, we're missing out and we're like shutting down our emotions, which we know is not healthy either. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, why is it important to actually feel the feelings in this process of building resilience? So the image that comes to mind is, say we had a cut on our leg and we just put a Band-Aid on. So externally think, yep, problem solved, but there's still the cut there. There's still the sensation. There's still the feeling. And so the way that I look at resilience is it's a process of reconciling what's happened with how you're feeling and how do we keep moving forward. So in the literature, there's some talk about a bounce back rate. So what's your bounce back rate? Mm-hmm. So some people it's quite high, it's quite quick, and some it's a bit slow. And sometimes if our bounce back rate's too high, too quick, we've missed that important piece of understanding the experience, mm-hmm. to feel the feelings. And let's face it, a lot of us don't want to feel the feelings. We're in a time where we're con- constantly distracted. If we feel the tiny bit uncomfortable, reach for the phone. Mm-hmm. reach for something to eat, reach for anything and whatever you can get your hands on to avoid any kind of feelings. Mm-hmm. And resilience is really calling us to experience the feeling, to sit with it, to nurture it, to understand it, to make sense of it, and then move forward with that wisdom of what you've learned in the process. Because if we're constantly moving forward without experiencing the pain without experiencing the disappointment, without feeling the feelings, we're actually missing the point and we become more and more disconnected. So that old saying is what we resist persists. So just because you put the Band-Aid on doesn't mean there's not a wound there. And it doesn't mean that it can't get infected and grow and can become much bigger than what it initially was because it wasn't treated properly. It wasn't nurtured and soothed and maybe cleaned and refreshed. So that's where the nuance of resilience comes in. It's about thinking about the big picture. And also another area of resilience that people don't talk about often is it's hard for people to experience really positive things at times. Because mm-hmm. they think, oh, no, something else is gone, something good's happened, something else is bad must be happening. Oh, I don't deserve it. I can't believe this has happened to me. So resilience isn't always a struggle. It's about navigating life's everyday challenges. Mm, it's, Brene Brown talks about that, that actually feeling joy is a harder emotion to feel than, you know, sadness or anger. People, when they surveyed people, they found that joy, they really struggle to feel joy. So, yeah, you, you're shutting yourself off from feeling that as well. So that's why it's important to have the feelings because is that right? So Because if we shut down the feelings on this path to just be resilient and cope with everything, then we miss out on all the feelings and all the spectrum of life and, and the joy and the pain and the hardness and we're just kind of numbing ourselves from actually experiencing the real real life and so but it's easier to do that though isn't it like it's actually easier day to day to just shut it down we're just going to shut that down we do not want to feel that (laughs) well it depends because people have grown up in different environments you know some people have grown up in an environment where it's okay and normal to express emotions to have opinions about different things and other people have grown up in environments where we don't talk about that stuff here Like Mm -hmm. it's an emotional desert. There's no talk about emotions. It just doesn't happen. We just play on, we pretend and keep moving forward. So it just depends on what you've experienced in your family of origin and then also in your school community. What was your school like? Some schools really 
embrace feelings and emotional literacy and some are really about this is how we work here, you've got to conform. If you don't, you'll get the tap on the shoulder and you'll be moved on. And so there's lots of different areas of our life that come into that play of do I have permission to feel my feelings? Is it safe to feel my feelings? For a lot of people, it doesn't feel safe to feel their feelings. It feels like it's wrong. It shouldn't happen. And it's kind of scary to feel the feelings. It's easier to just pretend like nothing's happened and keep moving forward. But we know that eventually that resistance captures up with us and then people blow in different ways. So for some people, when they've really had lots happening in their life, it may just be an absolute, you know, yelling at someone, blaming someone, a real blowout. For other people, it might be just sitting and crying, how did my life get to this? You know, everybody experiences emotions and feelings differently in their body. And so it's about becoming aware of what your body is trying to tell you. Our body is in constant communication with us. So we might be trying to mentally tell ourselves, it's fine, it's fine, but your body's saying, no, 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 mm. this is not right. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. If we just keep pushing it down, say that's your coping mechanism for, you know, I'm so resilient, I don't actually face my problems or, you know, I don't feel the feels, then eventually one day you're at the risk that it'll all blow up and, you know, that's you're going to be like this pressure cooker because you're not letting yourself feel the feeling. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about that because, I mean, you might be listening to this thinking, well, why do I need to feel the feelings? I'd rather just, you know, (laughs) brush it to side. But that's why it's so important because, again, one, so you can experience the full highs and lows of life and all the joy of that feeling. And then, two, because otherwise you run this risk that one day it's going to all come to the surface and and it, and it you know that's like you're saying it inevitably will at some point there's going to be a reaction or some sort of trigger or something will happen there'll be a trauma in your life you know there'll be a death in the family or something that really is quite significant and if you haven't built that resilience you're less likely to be able to cope with it as well is that right too oh absolutely because yeah. we all are in different patterns and know some people might be in a pattern even in their relationships where it's a boom and bust mm-hmm. where you have a big blow up and then you sort of recover, then things are fine, and then you have the big blow-up. But the challenge and the art of resilience is being able to feel your feelings and then articulate them and mm-hmm. asking for what you need. So so often if we have this blow-up moment, we're not asking for what we need, and so the fight becomes about the topics and the dishwasher, but it's the underlying issue is not being talked about, like dissatisfaction in your marriage or you want more children and your husband doesn't so really thinking about our emotions aren't silos Mm. but they do give us some information but there's always more to the story so thinking about are you actually getting worked up about the thing or is there more to it and so when it comes to resilience when we're feeling really quite overwhelmed we might go from feeling overwhelmed about the house and that might tap into financial problems and that might tap into something else so trying to distinguish between the different feelings and what's coming up and what's true and what's just perceived Mm -hmm. yeah what was coming up for me then was something about I was going to share my story of sort of kind of I guess now I realize that my resilience is better and sometimes it's not until you're tested which actually maybe is part of the definition of resilience too. It's like, you know, it's when you get tested that you really see how resilient you are. That might be in this, that standard definition of like how quickly you can get back up after something. So I guess there's kind of like resilience on an ongoing basis and then there's like how, how you recover. And 
So, you know, I've talked about on here before and, and, and some of our listeners will know that I went through this experience where I started to speak up in the community about water, about my views on the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, and it was quite different from everyone else's in the community at the time. And so I, I was on this committee and then I came under attack locally. And then I got to this point where my resilience was being tested and so I had to go through a process of really thinking, well, hang on a minute, What's going on here for me? What's the what am I learning here? And is this best for me? Now I could have just pushed on and stayed on that committee, and I could have like re, you know resisted against it, and I could have just like pushed through and yes, like no, I have to do this, I have to do this. But I think because of the work that I've done, and because I'm so much more aware of what I need to do to protect my own energy, and you know the, the choices that I need to make for my family and all that sort of stuff, I was actually able to make the decision to resign from the committee and focus back on what I needed to do. Now, I see that as resilience for me because I was, instead of just being, you know, pushing on and doing it, I was able to step back. I spoke to you, Meg, a lot about it. We debriefed on it. I spoke to people who were in my circle who I really, you know, trusted and asked them for advice. And so that's that external piece that you talked about. But I also weighed it up with the internal. And I think that's sort of to me like my experience of how I know that I'm now more resilient, where more resilient, and I'm working on my resilience because I was able to work through that situation. Does that is that a good example of becoming more resilient? Absolutely, because that is the dance, that is the art of resilience. Actually, looking at what you're doing and balancing up the internal and the external. You know, for so many of us, resilience can be our biggest downfall. You know, this ability to just keep working, just keep working. And I know for myself that that was my pattern. That's my natural pattern. When things get hard, I work harder. Mm-hmm. And then I work harder, work harder, get to a point where I look around and say, no one cares. And then I get resentful, then I get bitter, then I get depleted. And then I have a moment of like, this is not working. And then so naturally the next step was I'll just work harder. Mm-hmm. And that cycle just gets you constantly feeling depleted, mm. exhausted, bitter and resentful because you're not tapping into what you need mm. and you're also not letting in other people know how you're feeling mm-hmm. because externally people would have been looking at me like, she's got it all together, she's on top of it. Mm. And that's what I wanted because my identity was so attached to being resilient being the one who makes it happen. I cannot tell you, Katrina, how many women that I coach who look at me and say, Meg, I'm the one who gets shit done. Mm. Like I'm the one who gets it all done. And it's since having children and then trying going back into the workplace, like I can't work to my standard. I can't work to my pre-child standard and I just don't know what's wrong with me Mm. because I've got such an attachment to this, I get things done, I am competent. And this can be our biggest downfall because we're not letting other people know that, hey, it's really hard to Mm. try and work full-time and full-time in the house and full-time domestic. It's actually not possible. We need to have some conversations around that. It's being able to distinguish between the job or the role is just not possible compared to I'm failing, Mm. I'm not good enough. And so when we're feeling like I'm I'm failing, I'm not good enough, I'll just have to work harder, we're in disconnection to reality and we need to be able to let other people in. So it's quite interesting when you look at resilience or when you look at the way people 
respond or react to stresses. You know, some people go into the overfunctioner mode, and I'm a complete overfunctioner. When things get hard, you want to work it out. You want to find a problem. You want to find the solution. You just want to get it done, you know, work harder. And then we have our underfunctioners who think, oh, this is hard. I'm out. Somebody else come and save me. You know, so our overfunctioners, they really call upon their internal resources. So I am the captain of the ship. I make things happen. I don't need anybody's help. And then the underfunctioners are like, oh, I can't make anything happen. I need everybody's help. And both sides of the coin are really not helpful in the long run. We need to have a balance. We need to have a balance of, yes, I am capable. And yes, I need help at times the job in front of me, the financial position we're in, our family dynamics, it's just not working and I need some help. And that's what true resilience is, being able to be in the discomfort of your situation and letting other people know so they can support you too. Mm, Yeah, that word discomfort, it's getting being okay with that discomfort, isn't it? I think that's why your post was so powerful the other night because it really shows like, okay, I'm over it. You know, I think I think that was your thing. I'm over it. I'm done. And you were like, oh, this is crap. And I'm going to sit with that feeling and that emotion and the hardness of it. And this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to let myself feel the feels and then I'm going to move through it. So can you just talk us through that process for anyone who might not have seen that post? Um, explain to us what happened in that situation and how, because this is just a really great little example of a resilience practice, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely. And everything that we talk about in our conversations, it's all practice. Mm-hmm. These are all skills. They're all muscles that we can build. And it starts with awareness. So for me, Sunday night in our fifth lockdown, after a full weekend home together, which is really tough on my nervous system, I got to Sunday evening and I'll, I'm done. <laughs> I am so over this. My nervous system is completely fried There's so much uncertainty. I feel the weight of responsibility. And then to look for the week ahead, thinking, okay, I have another week of trying to make this work. How are we going to keep everybody together on top of it? And I just had this moment of, oh, I'm done. Like this is so hard. Mm. And years ago I would have got to that I'm done, this is so hard, and kept going. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have ignored it and just kept pushing on. But I've learned to, once I get to that point, to acknowledge it, to feel it. And then the hardest part then is to articulate that. Mm. So I had to articulate to John, I am done. I'm so exhausted. And the idea of looking at this week ahead, it just makes me feel ill trying to keep everyone entertained and in my nervous system in check. And it's really interesting because we've got into a dynamic now where he can listen to that and a part of him feels like, oh, I want to fix it. Mm. What can I do to try and fix the situation? Do I modify my work hours? Do I do different things? And I know now to say, "Hun, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to hear what I'm saying. Mm. And he's like, yep, makes sense. You know, it completely feels overwhelming. And then I had this other layer of it takes me back to a time when I had newborns and feel that responsibility, feeling isolated, and it's all the weights in my shoulders, and then it just gets all entangling because, you know, mm-hmm. we had this one feeling and then our body has a remember, remember, remembers it and then it puts it all together and then it feels just insurmountable. So I articulated my feelings. He was like, yep, totally understands that once the boys go down tonight, I just need to really recalibrate. I need to really recharge so I can get my head 
straight going into the week because what we know is when emotions are high, intelligence is low. Mm -hmm. And so when we're in the emotional part of our brain, we can't make good decisions because we're so reactive. And so I thought, right, I need to really settle. I need to settle my nervous system. I need to have a bath. And it took me nearly an hour to recalibrate, to get my thoughts back in line. It's like, oh, I feel okay now. And I was able to identify, yes, I was feeling overwhelmed. Yes, that linked to another time where I was feeling overwhelmed. And then say to myself, well, it's a different time. It's different. It's not the same. Things will change. These are some strategies we can put in place and it will pass. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's about being able to nurture ourselves during that time of struggle and also give ourselves that gentle, warm advice to work through. Mm-hmm. And also, John's now got to a point where he knows that I will ask, you know, I can ask for what I need instead of where the old days where I'm like, don't, you should know, why aren't you helping? <laughs> Like, you should know, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? Well, I can just say, I'm feeling like this. This is what I'm going to do. And I do it. And I woke up feeling recalibrated, recharged. And I got all of these messages on um, Instagram saying, wow, that's me. You know, I, I feel like I'm failing if I'm not on top of it. I feel like I'm failing if I'm not resilient. I feel like I'm failing if because I'm meant to be the well-being person, you know? So we need to open up our eyes into this human experience and that no one's on top of it all of the time. And if they are, they're in disconnection with the experience of life because life is experiencing the highs and the lows and being able to navigate that and be your best friend and coach on that journey. So you want to provide comfort but also challenge to keep moving forward. Mm. it's like when I was thinking back to you know when people from the outside used to say to me oh but you look like you've really got your shit together and I was <laughs> this is seven years ago before I started doing the work you know and it was like a, it was a facade really on the outside I looked, it was great but on the inside I was a mess and I think a lot of us are like that because we put on this sort of saving face of you know we don't want to actually show what's really going on but so it's taken you, like, you know, for someone listening though who's thinking, oh, gosh, yeah, well, I really am just like a bubbling mess on the inside and I'm, I mean, and some people wouldn't even have the awareness that they're doing that, right? It's just like that is just, it is what it is and that's where they are. But if some, if you get in that little bit of awareness of, oh, yeah, that's me, I'm, everyone thinks I'm fine but actually I'm not and I didn't, I couldn't even imagine being able to ask my husband or tell my husband, you know, like it's taken you a while to get to that point, hasn't it? It's not something that you just like, this is, as you said, it's a practice, it's a muscle. It's the same as building up confidence. You've got to build on your resilience, you know, because I was just thinking that some people might be listening thinking, gosh, well, I couldn't even tell my husband that I'm not coping and, you know, give myself permission to go and have that bath. And, and, you know, that's so much of it, isn't it? It's like permission to feel permission to acknowledge and articulate it and then permission to do something about it, (laughs) you know, like that is how do we get to that point? Like what are some, where could someone start right now if they're like, oh, my God, well, why resilience is shot? Well, you're not alone because most (laughs) resilient, most people, um, and it comes down to this emotional intelligence or some people like to say psychological flexibility or agility. And the average person is not in connection with their with themselves with their body they're in connection with the external world Mm. you know so that's constantly the p's that we talked about last week you know that goes back to perfecting performing 
pretending, producing, can't remember the last one. But that's what we go to. That's external. And on top of the peas, we've also got a phone that we can constantly um, look at. We've got a drink of wine at the end of the night, so I'll just take the edge off. And that's literally taking the edge off because when you drink alcohol, the prefrontal cortex is taking a little break and that's our thinking part of the brain and then it just that lull. So a lot of us are creating environments where we're just taking the edge off and so that means we're taking the edge off our emotions. We're not in connection with them at all. So where to start is to just notice. When you're in the car, just notice how you just check in. Where are you? Go through your battery. The battery is always a really good indicator of how you're going to be managing the day. Sleep, food, movement, rest, and connection. Go through your battery, see how your battery's going, and then just notice how am I feeling? And then we can go to above and below the line. Mm-hmm. You know, because we know that when we're playing above the line, we're going somewhere. We're going to make progress. And so above the line is or so we're rowing somewhere. So that's ownership, accountability, and responsi- responsibility. And when we're below the line, that's when we're lying in our bed. We're not going anywhere. That's blame, excuses, and denial. So if you can look at that, you can start to notice, oh, when I go to that blamey spot, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that may be an invitation to think about, oh, how have I contributed here? So, for example, I used to go to the blame, so it would be John's fault that I was tired or John's fault that I felt this way, and then I started to notice that, hey, he doesn't have a clue how I'm feeling. I haven't told him how I'm feeling, and it's a bit unfair to assume that he should know what I'm thinking. Like He's not a mind reader. And so starting to notice, are you going to blame or are you going to excuses or do you go to that no problems here? denial and pretending so just start to get curious and just start to notice do you give yourself permission to feel discomfort or do you want to just avoid it and move away so simple things when you're standing in the supermarket line can you just stand there without distraction without looking at your phone without looking at your phone just standing (laughs) there Uh, I don't even know if I can do that Meg actually I get pretty easily distracted (laughs) And this is something that I'm really fascinated about at the moment because I'm doing a deep dive into digital well-being at the moment. And what I heard yesterday was constant distraction is the cognitive equivalent of smoking. Oh, I saw you post that. I was like, whoa. I know, confronting. It's really confronting for me and something that I'm really trying to work on. But if we're constantly distracted, we're missing what our body's trying to tell us. We're missing the cues. Yeah. yeah, numbing it all, yeah. no feelings here. And so that means that our range of emotions quite narrow, happy, mm-hmm. sad, mad, disgust, like the real basic emotions, mm-hmm. where if we give ourselves space to stop and notice, we can catch things before they become big things. Because before problems become a big thing, normally there were lots of little crumbs along the way before they get there. I like the analogy of a crack. Mm -hmm. most things especially in relationships just start with a little crack but they end up with this massive grand canyon Mm -hmm. and the bridge is just too hard to cross Mm -hmm. and so I encourage people to start to notice how am I feeling Mm -hmm. how is that feeling showing up for me what is that feeling compelling me to do if that's reach for food or if that's reach for the telly or call that person and have a good vent. So just start to notice the link between your feelings 
and your actions and then ask the question, is it helping me mm. or is it keeping me stuck? Yeah, because it's thinking about what's, what, what are you masking? What are you keeping pushed down? And then what's that leading to then? Like is that causing you to be resentful or there's all this bottled up stuff or you're feeling, you know, blaming and all those things because if you're masking it all and you're not feeling the feels, then that's what can happen is you can slip into all these, you know, these sort of, we don't want to say bad emotions, but these squashed and angry and fear and all that sort of stuff. And because I, I was thinking about that in relation to what you experienced, like, and, you know, this is why resilience is so important because things like lockdown, really tough. I mean, I know that's not normal. Like two years ago, lockdowns wouldn't have been normal, but they are starting to become so much more common now. And we still have to be able to cope with things like that. You know, we have to be able to, that, that sort of stuff is out of our control. We've got to build our resilience and the ability to cope with these things. And if if you hadn't taken that time to stop, pause, notice how you were feeling, acknowledge the feelings, give yourself permission to feel it, explain it to John, and then do something about it, you could have kept going, you know, and you would have bottled it all up. You would have then you would have moved into like resentment. Then you would have got really angry, and then eventually probably flipped your lid. You know, so and this is a cycle that we see happening, isn't it? And there's so many women who are doing this instead of, you know, feeling the feels, telling people what they want to express, what they need, all that kind of stuff. They're just keeping it bottled up until the point where they get they flip the lid, and that can be the kids or your husband or something and that's often I mean that's a fairly common scenario I would imagine actually like looking back to my own personal experience that was a pretty common set of events of what I would have done as well so it really is just that that breaking it down and starting to notice what's going on for you isn't it and where you are you know not allowing yourself permission to feel and and see what you need absolutely so it really comes back to this idea of emotional literacy yes and being an emotional coach for yourself so it depends on your family of origin or back to that school experience and how were emotions handled, mm. you know. When it comes to emotions, there's this part of acknowledgement and acceptance, but we also want to move forward. So there's a bit of a balance. So I'd like you to think of a pendulum, like this pendulum, and when we're working with students it's and, or our own children, we can go on a side that's too soft. Mm-hmm or too hard naturally we fall on one side or the other naturally I'm hard you know and then some people naturally are soft so the example I like to use if if a year seven student's going off to camp for the first time and a student says to their parents mom I'm really nervous about camp I really don't want to go you know that real soft side would be oh you don't want to go to camp no problems we'll have our own camp we'll go on our own holiday (laughs) you know so that's that And then the other side, the other extreme is you don't want to go to camp, toughen up. I went to camp in the snow and we went for two weeks and we didn't have any food, you know. So that response is really hard and both of the responses are unhelpful Mm. because being able to respond to emotions is being able to acknowledge them as they are, make sense of them and then move forward. So the one way to respond would be, yes, it makes sense that you're nervous about going to camp. Mm-hmm. I remember being nervous about going to camp and you're going. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so because we get into these cycles of avoidance where something's scary, I avoid it. And then we confirm to ourselves that that's scary, so we avoid it more and more. A perfect example is public speaking. Mm. the idea of public speaking oh I can't do that so I don't do that next time it pops up I can't do that so I won't do that and it just gets bigger and bigger and the avoidance cycle can be a part of that the way we experience emotions oh scary I don't do that 
and we just avoid, avoid, avoid. So what I'm encouraging people to do first as adults and then with the children or um, students around them is to be emotionally aware, to be able to say, oh, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'm feeling edgy, my blood's starting to boil, like I can really feel it. So you're role modelling to people around you what's actually happening or when a um, your ch- children come out from the backyard absolutely distraught, you can tell something's happened and instead of going to what's happened, you stop, you're like, oh, you look so sad, you look so hurt. So you're giving them some language that they may not have, like that's hurt, that's sad, that's disappointment. Come here, I'll give you a cuddle. And then like, yes, I'm sad, I'm disappointed. And then from that feeling like, oh, this is normal, this is what ma- this makes sense, then we can have the conversation afterwards. You know, I get the giggles now. <laughs> Charlie, my four-year-old, looks at me, stomps his feet, he's like, you are so frustrating. <laughs> you frustrate me so much (laughs) and I giggle because I think well he's learning this language yeah it's a language if you can start to understand how you're feeling then it's not scary then you're not avoiding it and it passes so quick you know my Sunday night it was a night where I was feeling over it I went to bed early I woke up and I'm back on Mm. where traditionally I wouldn't have addressed it wouldn't have slept all that well been a little bit cranky, and then it just doesn't pass because it's still present. It's still tapping away. And so the more we can acknowledge, we can process it, the more we can move on, and that's where that true bounce-back factor happens mm-hmm. when we've processed it. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is that I wanted to mention that the feelings situation, um, you know, you ask people how many, if they can name, how many feelings can they name, and I think, I don't know, 90% of people can say three, happy, sad, and angry, and that's it. And, you know, how many are there on that wheel? There's something like, is it like 100? Oh, yeah, heaps. And yeah. yet most people can only name those three feelings, you know. Actually, I must say the kids did an exercise at school with this recently, I think it was last year, where they had to, you know, and they got this awareness that there was all these different emotions, and I thought that was really good. But another thing that I think we're missing, you know, just... I guess it's because adults of our generation can't, aren't very good at understanding our feelings and expressing our emotions and understanding that. Because, you know, one example is just like I was thinking about with the football and the netball, how the under-12s, they don't score. You know, we're like we're missing out on this beautiful teaching opportunity where we should be able to sit with the emotions of the kids. And instead of labelling losing is bad and winning is good and the emotions that are attached to either of those is good or bad, it's like, we should be using this as a teaching opportunity. You know, oh, you lost today. How do you feel about that? Oh, yes. Feeling sad and angry is, you know, that's a difficult emotion, isn't it? Or, you know, like wouldn't it be amazing if we could use these opportunities to teach the kids rather than just, oh, we're just going to block that out. There's no winners and losers in this game. We don't want to actually deal with those emotions because, oh, no, we want, we don't want you dealing with that. You know, it's like I feel like there's we're trying to protect ourselves so much <laughs> and actually we're missing out on these opportunities to teach and learn and grow and sit in that discomfort and you know it's just there's a lot of that going on I think that we're missing out on that now I think in this society and I think that's interesting because the kids aren't missing out because the kids know they know who wins they know who loses it's the adults we're missing out on the numbers and being able to work it all out but kids get it they know who wins they know who loses they know who's faster they know who's slower and that's an interesting thing about kids is they just know, Mm. you know, like if you said who's the fastest in year level, they know. Mm. Who's the slowest? They know. Who wins? Who loses? 
they know, they understand it. It's about us as adults being able to sit with that discomfort. Yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of students are really quite comfortable, but it's yeah. the adults being able to sit with the discomfort, you yeah. know. it's I cannot tell you how many parents that I have worked with because they're so uncomfortable about something's happened for their student. Perfect example, the netball team. You have trials and then you put up the teams, guaranteed the phone's going to happen. You know, you're going to have calls, parents saying, why didn't they get in the team? Why didn't they... At the end of the day, they didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. They just it doesn't matter what I say, I can't give you what you want. Mm. And also, this is how it is mm. at the moment, you know. So this is a teaching opportunity to work with your children to say, you know, you didn't get into the A, you might have got in the B or C. And do you actually really like this sport? For some of them, no. So they actually don't care. It's more the parents that care about it. <laughs> Or, okay, you're not in it this time. How can you work harder? How can you improve and mm. work through? You know, I've, I worked at a school that we had a sports presentation that was, you know, all done, all finished, and then we got a call from the trophy store because someone had ordered a trophy. A parent had ordered a trophy when there was only a certificate, you know. <laughs> so we're dealing with the extremes here. We're dealing with parents who are like, yes, they need to go harder. And then parents are like, no, no, no. We need so we need to find some balance. We need to find some nuance in the conversation. We need to be able to regulate our emotions and then work with it. So mm-hmm. students, they get it, they understand, but where the disconnection is, is the adults become so uncomfortable. Mm. So uncomfortable with all of these emotions. And then then all of a sudden students and children start to get uncomfortable oh I can't feel like that so if you (laughs) if you look at a four-year-old I've got a perfect example he does not care what other people think about his emotions (laughs) (laughs) he's showing you in the moment if he's frustrated if he's angry if he's happy you know I can tell if our four-year-old's happy he's bouncing he's literally bouncing like doing bunny binkies if he's cross I can see it in his body it is just so expressive and it's so in your face. And then slowly over time, we all experience this conditioning of what's socially appropriate and what's not. So like we talked about last week is we start in this place and then we learn and then we have to unlearn mm. once it's once it's safe enough to start to explore. And instead of, um, you know, getting angry and yelling at someone, you can get angry and then find a way to articulate it because that's the difference when it comes to emotionally aware people is they can feel the feelings and then find a healthy way to articulate it, you know. So it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to abuse somebody. Yes. It's okay to be sad but it's not okay to then want to make somebody else sad and make you feel as bad that you want to feel. So there's a difference between our emotions and our behaviour. Yes, and if you haven't worked on your resilience and that ability to be able to feel the emotions and then recover, that's when you'll end up abusing someone or slipping into like extreme sadness or anxiety or whatever else as a sort of a coping mechanism because you haven't worked on your resilience. Absolutely. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, it's so important, isn't it? And it's such a practice and it's just another one of these things that like, yeah, confidence, resilience, learning to thrive, it's all part of living a full, whole, 
you know, a whole being life where you can feel all the all the good, all the bad and just live it fully. And I think that's where, you know, we, 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 yeah, it's like you say with all this. I'm really interested to hear your discussion actually about tech and how we do, we're masking all this stuff these days and we're not feeling the full range of emotions and, yeah, we've got to get back to understanding all these nuances and the complexities of life so we can show up as our best selves. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that an important piece of the resilience puzzle is having people on your journey with you. Mm-hmm. You need to have some safe people that can witness your journey. And I found that that's been one of the most powerful things for me over the last few years is I've got some key people who are with me on the ride. They see the ups, the downs, the everything. And having those core people witness how you're truly feeling gives you that confidence to keep moving forward. And you don't have to explain it to the whole world, but it's having a few people witness you in your struggle and be with you so you don't feel alone. You know, because that's one of the struggles that people feel like I'm the only one who's not all together. Mm. I'm the only one who's struggling and then you become really isolated and your world becomes quite small and then it's hard to be resilient because you don't you've cut off that external support. And so that's where we really need to invite people in to our world and our experience and if you don't have friends or family to do that, go to a GP, go to a psychologist, go to a coach, anybody that you feel that can be a witness to you on your journey because Mm -hmm. we all need to have people that witness our day-to-day life and who can be there when we're feeling good but even more important who can be there when we're struggling. So that is so, so important, isn't it? Because we can't do it alone. We know that. And it's just, yeah, wherever you need to get those people from, get them. It makes such a big difference, doesn't it? Like you and I have each other now and that's been for us, it's been, well, for me particularly, and I know I'm sure for you as well, it's a really important part of our journey together is to have this support and this mentoring, co-mentoring and back and forth and sharing the journey together to as we grow and build our resilience and with life, you know. And there was something else, though, that just sprang to mind that was went from the other day when we were talking was it just wanted to get you to explain about, like, the ability to have faith. We have to have faith in our capacity as humans. That's what I wrote down, that we have to have this faith that we can rise and we can be resilient and, like, overarching because otherwise it's like, oh, what do I need to be resilient for? There's no bloody point. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that is one of my key beliefs. Yep. Is the faith in the human spirit and the ability for humans to rise when Mm -hmm. they feel supported. Mm -hmm. Like, I honestly believe that if people are supported if they're nurtured, if they allow people into their real self, not just the peas, the real self, the messy, the uncomfortable, that's when magic happens. Mm-hmm. Because when we're supported, we can do incredible things. And the human spirit is so resilient. It is able to do incredible things. We've all heard stories. We think, how do you even do that? You know, my dad is oldest of 11 and I think daily when I'm looking at my two that feel like 200, how did you have 11 (laughs) children, you know? Like the ability to rise when you're supported is absolutely what keeps me going, you know? And there's a challenge in that because if you believe in people's ability to be resilient, that they're capable, that they can rise, 
you also need to be able to step back and allow them the space to be on their Mm. own journey. You know, for a lot of us who are carers and supporters, we over-function on other people's behalf. And so we want to do more, do more, do more to help them. And what we're actually doing is teaching them that they need help, that they need to be rescued. They need someone to come in and do all the work for them. And that's what we call learned helplessness. When you get into this cycle of, I can't do it. I have to just wait for somebody else. So an example in the classroom is when you're doing some work and students literally don't have an answer because they're just waiting for someone to give them the answer. Mm. You know, so when it comes to resilience, it's this ability to be able to be with the discomfort, have those witness in your witnesses in your life who can be with the discomfort too and not getting all triggered thinking, oh, I need to fix it for them. I'll, I'll make the appointment at the doctor. I'll do all this thing and just gently be with them and have the faith that if they're supported, if they feel safe, incredible things can happen. Oh, I love that. I think that's such a beautiful place to end because it's, it is, it's that hope and that faith that doing the work, building these skills, you know, you can live and have that resilience and be this vibrant person that you want to be and live the life that you truly desire. And I think that's a beautiful place to finish because I really believe that too, that we all have that ability. We just need to learn how, you know, and we can all get back to that. And I think it's really powerful and really important. So Meg, thank you so much once again. This was a bit of a longer one, but it's such a important. We went through we went through a lot of things there, and I think it's such an important topic and hopefully really helpful for people. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I hope everybody that's listening feels that they are capable, that they are strong, and that you give yourself permission to let other people in and witness your journey. Oh, beautiful, Meg. Thank you so much. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Meg. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.